to Mark chapter 2. It's becoming increasingly uh, obvious to me that I'm not going to have time to get through Mark in my time here. And, but we're going to go as far as we possibly can. So for those of you all visiting, I'm sorry, this is just where we're at. <laughs> and I hope it will be a blessing to you as we, not because I'm anything special, but because God's word is, well, as in the King James English, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And we'll read throughout the rest of the chapter. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was hungered? And they that were with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest. And gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, and this is the point of it all, The Son of Man is Lord, also of the Sabbath. That's really just going to be my one-point message, is He's Lord. (laughs) I don't really have an outline today. We're just going to go verse by verse, word by word through this text. But He's Lord. He's Lord of the Sabbath. And that's the controversy laid before us. Now, there has been, we've been looking at this progressive revelation of Christ that he is making of himself uh, in this expanding revelation, especially in the very last few um, uh, narratives that we've looked at. Uh, And it's coalescing under this point that he is the Lord of all. Now, some people have said, well, Mark was the very first gospel written, and, you know, and Mark really kind of had this mundane view of Christ, and then afterwards Luke and Matthew came, and they wanted to add some stuff, and then this idea that Christ was Lord was something that developed over a long period of time, and the idea that he was to be worshipped. As has been pointed out by many, that's just a theory of the order, but what we see here, as we've seen time and time again, Mark presents Christ a high Christology. He is presenting Christ, no doubt, as Lord here. Now the Sabbath becomes, and the Sabbath observance becomes the center of this revelation of himself. And now the word Sabbath here in, in, in the Greek is, is plural, and uh, we don't really have a reason for that. Some have, some have said that maybe it was a holy days, a set of holy convocations, something around the barley harvest uh, that was occurring at that time. But we really don't have an actual, actual uh, time period or, uh, of this, so we're not really sure about that. Now, in some manuscripts in Luke chapter 6, 1, 1 it talks about a second Sabbath at that time. 
uh, but we're really not really getting into that. But it was the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was becoming was going to become a big deal. Now, I want to let you know, I'm not going to try to break down everything about the Sabbath today. I want to stick to the text before us. Every once in a while, and about four or five times in the last ten years, we get someone hanging something on the on the uh, door about the Sabbath or something like that, and that, that if you're not going to church on Saturday, you're you're going to you're you're, uh, you're you've taken the mark of the beast or something to that effect. We get those uh, advertisements every once in a while. So we're not going to study the Sabbath per se, but I do want to get into what the text says. This is going to become a controversy throughout Christ's ministry. In fact, next week we're going to pick up the narrative about what Christ says is and is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But for today, let's just talk about the setting first. The setting is this. In verse 23 it says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. Now, I want to just point out just a few interesting notes here. It was Christ that was going through the, uh, through the fields. Specifically, it was him that went through the fields. His disciples, of course, were there. They're going to become central to the debate. But the over, uh, and the overall theme, though, is going to be Christ's care for his disciples as their Lord. That's what, this, that's what we're going we to drag out of this text, that Christ cares for his own. He's the Lord. He was walking through the cornfields. And with that being said, with that as the theme of this text, Christ's care for his disciples as their Lord, uh, we're prepared to better understand some synoptical differences between Matthew and Mark. Now, you all understand what I mean by the synoptics, right? What are the synoptics? What are the synoptics? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Where they're called synoptics because they're seeing together. They're seeing with one another. They are... Um, they're dealing with a lot of the same information. Of course, there's a lot of things that are unique about each one, but, but uh, there, there are some differences. Math, Mark, Mark and Luke pretty much tell the very same narrative here. Um, they deal with the very same material, but Matthew does not. We saw that they were going along chronologically, and then Matthew is going to skip from Matthew 9 all the way to Matthew 12 to tell this very same story. And he puts some things before that because he is, de he is dealing with it theologically. Uh, and what are some of the things that he inserts there uh, prior to coming back to this event and telling this story? Well, he talks about sending the disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, and then his care and support of the ministry of the disciples in Matthew chapter 11, as well as some other periphery points. And Matthew accentuated, though, the sending of the disciples first before coming back and talking about this very thing, whereas in Mark and Luke just continue chronologically or at least uh, uh, being faithful to what the, what, what, what the verbal traditions were being, being uh, brought forth in the church. Um, so Matthew added, uh, added some things as well. If you read Matthew, Matthew is going to have a little bit more robust of a, of a presentation of this. He's going, to, um, he's going to add the reference to the law's demands, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, uh, that he did in the very last narrative that we looked at last week, and he's also, uh, and he also adds the condemnation for them condemning the guiltless. Guiltless. 
So there's a little bit of the difference, but when you think about what the theme of this narrative is, that Christ cares for his own. We know this is a historical event. We know this actually happened. And it's being rehearsed here. He is Lord of his disciples. As we're thinking about the church and the nature of the church, he builds his church and he cares for his church. I think Peter, who was present for this, was later going to say, cast your cares upon him for he cares for us. And this is one of the many events that we can say that Peter was able to go back to and said he cared for us. We were hungry and he led us through some fields and we ate. The, disi- the disciples followed him and according to Matthew 12, 1, they were hungry. Now Mark doesn't specifically bring that out. He just talks about them plucking up the corn. Why? Because he's dealing specifically with the controversy. Matthew wants to bring out they were hungry. I don't know how long they had been fasting, how long, how long it had been since their last meal, but they were hungry. And we have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus pass through the cornfields? He passed through the cornfields because he had hungry disciples. For the same reason he would later break bread for the 5,000 and the 4,000 and, and so on and so forth. But he passed through the cornfield because he had hungry disciples and there was a provision in God's law. What was that provision? If you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23, we will look at that provision within God's law. So we want to immediately dispel this idea that somehow Christ was acting unlawfully. But there was a provision in God's law for the disciples to eat. Deuteronomy 23 verse 25 says, When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor... Then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. So what's this mean? Well, Jesus Christ summed thee into all the law into two, things, into two commandments, right? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And the law, was, and the, and the law here made provision for the care of one's neighbor. So, they ate the corn. Passing through, they began to pluck it, rub it into their hands, and eat the standing corn. Now, I've never ate corn like that. I guess you can, but I know we're not talking about corn in the stocks. We're talking about uh, barley wheat and things of that nature. But, but they ate, and they ate readily. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, the disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and another infinitive is that and to eat as well while they were doing it they were just eating readily this is their lord making provision for them the lord feeds the birds will feed us amen i got a couple of you all believe that <laughs> if you're all worried he feeds the ravens he feeds the he, birds of the field or uh, birds of the air he will feed us we go, I, I, when I'm reading this, at least verse 23, I think of Psalm 23. Lord's our shepherd. He leads us into the green pastures and by, beside the still waters. Then, of course, like last week, the controversy comes. And just to let everybody know, 
If you're going to follow Christ, you're always going to be in the middle of controversy. A couple of you all shook your head. You all know, you all get that, right? Regarding food, nonetheless, this is three straight stories, narratives of controversy that all involve food. Yeah, so, I mean, we know they're Baptists, amen? Uh, yeah, it's real, yeah. So, I, I, and you know, just to let you know, there's still controversy about eating, but that's either here or there. Uh, but this is three straight, three straight that, uh, that controversies over food. First, he was feasting with sinners, feasting and not fasting, and now he's eating on the Sabbath. So, another controversy over food. And it says here in verse 24, And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And the Pharisees are here taking lead. We saw a couple weeks ago the scribes were taking lead. They were sitting there in judgment. Why does this man speak blasphemy? Uh, who can forgive sins but God? Here are the Pharisees, and they may have been uh, partly of the same group. But they're taking lead. Remember what a Pharisee was? They were ones that obligated themselves into law. The Aramaic Pharos. They, were, they, they, they had tied themselves to keeping the law. They, were, they, 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 they prided themselves on even keeping the most minutest and smallest of law. In, in uh, Matthew 23, they would take the mint and the herbs that they grew in the garden and make sure that they were weighing 10% of it and offering it up as a tie. They, did, they wanted to keep the law perfectly. And here, they accuse Christ of breaking the law. Now, just like before, it's not, I'm not sure in the actual, uh, in the Greek, whether this is exclamatory or if it's an interrogative. Are they asking a question? Why are you doing that which is against the law? Or are they, say, or are they saying, you're doing that which is against the law with, with explanation points after it. It's not really clear specifically whether it's an explanation or a, or a question. But we have that word behold, look. And it, has, and it carries this idea of indignation and condemnation that is happening here. And Luke leads us to believe uh, that this exclamation was directed towards the disciples specifically. But here it says they were not only directing it towards the disciples, they were directing it directly to the Lord. The accusation is he is acting against the law. He's letting those that are, follow him, that are following him also act against the law. And this will become a lasting point of debate. And for us to understand Christ and the Sabbath, we have to understand this one singular point that's going to be made in this narrative. He's Lord. Before that, we're not going to be able to separate what's lawful, what's not lawful, if we cannot come down to the single point that he's going to make. He is Lord even here. That's the foundational apology that our Lord is going to offer. There are traditions that are a root in this controversy, of course. But there is a lawful basis. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. What does the Ten Commandments say? I'll run into my Adventist brothers every once in a while. Who changed the Sabbath? Right? We have the law. The law says, you all know, what does it say? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. For in six days the Lord created all things, and the seventh he rested. Yeah, maybe so. 
But there is a lawful basis. In Exodus 20, the creative work of God is the basis of the command too. We can go all the way back to Genesis account. God created all things in six days and rested the seventh day and sanctified it. So they're not necessarily without scriptural ground here. The charge that is being made is that the disciples eat from the fields is a violation of this command. And the question we ask is, is it? And there is not one Jew at that time, as is later going to be pointed out in Luke chapter 13, that would not lead their animals to water and care for their animals on the Sabbath, that would not feed their animals. And here the disciples following him are eating. We cannot, in actual practice, there was no violation that was going on here. What was being violated was being violated was the traditions. They, they, traditions were developed by the elders in Israel to define what is work and what is rest. And that's always when we're going to fall into legalism and things like that, when we start to part and put our own definitions on things. So they wanted to define what is work and what is rest. And those traditions defined the plucking up of corn as harvesting. Right? We just read there about, uh, about uh, don't raise a sickle on it. You can, you can eat it, but don't raise a sickle on it. They, even, that, even, that, even that text was making a difference between the work of harvesting and the simple taking of food from the neighbor's corn. But they would call the plucking of corn harvesting. The love of one's neighbor was, was being fulfilled in the keeping of the law, as we've already seen in Deuteronomy. But the, but the Pharisees failed to see the need for mercy that would demand that the letter, they would demand that the letter of the law be kept in this matter, even though these men were hungry. They were honoring the letter of the law above the spirit of the law. Uh, the expositor's Greek said this. Even if they were hungry, this is reaping on a small scale. Rubbing equals threshing, which equals work. That was their mind here. So, uh, Vincent's word study says, this is sifting, this is grinding, this is fanning, it's work. And that's what he's allowing them to do. They're walking through the cornfields, they're plucking it up, and that's what they're doing. They are violating God's word because they are violating our definition of what is work that has been held, given down to us by tradition. Tradition is always going to run foul of the Bible, Bible all the time. Uh, so they were upset about the plucking. Even though they did, they, they did it to eat when they were hungry, that's what they were upset about. And his followers, the righteous condemnation, they wanted to lay down on that. They are breaking the command. You, don't you remember we stoned people for keeping the Sabbath or not keeping the Sabbath in the Old Testament? And that's what they're doing. They wanted to bring that righteous condemnation of the law down on the lawgiver. And, of course, all of this is based upon them failing to see who he was. And that's going to come out in the text.
Mm-hmm. Which he's going to get into that. Which is going to become a really great point in the next narrative where he's going to say, this is, lawful. is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil on the Sabbath? And you're getting way <laughs> beyond that. All right. So, yeah, he wanted to make sure I get it all. All right, so the righteous condom, they wanted to bring that right, but they failed to see who he is. They thought the Sabbath was an end of itself. The law is an end in and of itself, and that's going to be brought out. So let's, let's broadly answer this text. The broad answer, of course, is in the very last verse, verse 28, Christ is Lord. But before we let's, but he first builds this on a scriptural example, the word of God. He tells the story here, starting in verse 25. And uh, first of all, I apologize if it's hot in here. I see a couple people fanning. So uh, he says, have you never read? The scriptures are always correct men's traditions. Have you never read what David did? And of course he tells the story which we've already read. They prided themselves on being keepers of the law. Like Paul. Concerning the law, I was perfect. I was flawless. But it was all done. King James ain't. Of course they've read this. The Pharisees weren't ignorant of what, the, uh, of what the Scripture said. What was the story about? Well, first of all, I have a whole section here, and due to time, I'm not going to deal with it. But I remember years ago running into a, uh, a man from the Methodist Church. He was handing out literature there on the campus, uh, and he probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> And I got into an argue, argument about him about the inerrancy of Scripture, and uh, he wanted to throw out. He says the, the Bible's full of errors and stuff like this, and, and he says the, does the rabbit chew his cud, and and uh, and uh, and he brought me over here too, and it says here's an error in the Bible. Jesus was even mistaken here, because he says this happened in the days of Abiathar, the high priest. But when you read the text there in Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, it was Ahimelech, the father of Abiathar. Well, there's a few things. I'm not going to chase a rabbit about errors in the Bible. But I believe everybody in here believes the Bible to be inherent and authoritative. Abiathar was alive during those days. <laughs> All right. In fact, he either became was already high priest or became high priest right after this happened since all the other priests were killed. And if you read 1 Samuel, it just mentions that Himelech was acting as a priest, not necessarily the high priest, so on and so forth. Uh, but all you really need to know is this happened while Abiathar was living. And he was the most popular high priest of that time because he was the high priest that served under David and so on and so forth. So if you study these things out, they usually will resolve themselves. But anyway, what, what's the story here? What was happening with David? Anybody, anybody remember what was happening with David? He just got a javelin thrown at him. 
for the second time. I don't know why he kept playing the harp the second time and allowing Saul to kill him, but he was being persecuted and was running for his life. And where did he run to? Well, not the tabernacle, yeah, the temple. You ever wonder why there's so often in the Psalms he sings about the house of the Lord, the temple of God, the tabernacle? Uh, there's one place in Psalm 84, he talks about it as birds flying and nesting and finding protection there, even in the tabernacle of God. And, and he, he sung there in Psalm 43 about, uh, why am I cast down? And he talked about going to the house of God. And, and, and Asaph would pick that up later in, in, in uh, Psalm 73, where he was in this great discouragement until he went to the house of God. David felt like this place was a refuge for him. He trusted his God, and this was where his God was, that manifest presence, that glory presence that we talked about earlier this morning. And so he ran to the house of God, and his disciples were with him. A picture, of course, or, or a foreshadowing of this very event that we have here where the disciples of Christ are following well, they're following the son of David. But the disciples of David were with him. They were all hungry. And there God provided for him. The point is this. David, in a time of need, entered. That is through the priests, no doubt, who entered on his behalf. And ate the bread that was meant only for the priests. And he even says, he, he, he quotes, uh, or at least he makes reference to the very law, in which it was not lawful. The law says this bread was to be laid up before the face of the Lord uh, and was to be sanctified for that purpose. And the sons of Aaron, the priests that entered in, were to eat from it. That's what the law said. And here... The bread that was literally the Lord's was provided to David when he was hungry. No one but those representing him were allowed to eat that bread. And thus, may we, uh, we, this also may be connected with the Sabbath. Leviticus chapter 24, you don't have to turn there, but Leviticus, Leviticus 24 verse 5. Uh, every Sabbath day he shall set in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for, the, for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him the Lord's offering by fire, his portion forever. Yet all who read this story, even the Pharisees as they read this story, understood that was about God caring for David. And the disciples of David appear to be the focus. Even in the story there in 1 Samuel 21, David was pleading for, for who? His disciples. He says, these men have been following me. These men are hungry. Can you, do you have any bread for these men to eat? And just as Christ led his disciples to the cornfields, and there they had grain to eat, so David led his disciples to the house of the Lord and there found bread to eat. Literally, the bread before the face of God. 
David, whose love for the house of his God found God's care there for himself and his disciples, was proof of God's care for those that follow him. Matthew would add another truth here. It's not here, but it's relevant to the story. I'm not going to necessarily try to walk through it, but Matthew added another truth. He says he also said, Have you not read in the law that the priest uh, profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What is that about? What, what is he saying? Well, he's saying that even on the Sabbath, you go to the house of God, the priests are working. What are they doing? They're offering sacrifices for the people. You know, just because it's Sabbath doesn't mean there's not sinners who need reconciliation. Just because it's the Sabbath doesn't mean that there's not people in need of a blood atonement. And there at the house of God, even on the Sabbath, the priests are working. Why? Because God provides for His people, even on the Sabbath. With that, we draw closer to the doctrine. I'll try to be quick and be done by 1 o'clock here. Everybody set your watches, all right? You know how preachers lie, though. We draw closer to the doctrine here. The prerogative of the Lord to care for his own even on the Sabbath. He, as God, is able to speak on this matter of intent. Here specifically on why the Sabbath was created. Which, by the way, Mark alone gives us verse 27 in the narrative. Why was it, why was it even created? We're going all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. God created all things. Six days. On the seventh he rested. But what before? What was the last thing he created before he rested? Created them in his image. With specific care in mind. Chapter 2 says he breathed specifically into their nostrils the breath of life. And they became a living soul. And then, he says, I'm done. And I will sanctify this day. Man was not made for the Sabbath. There's cults out here that say, still say man's made for the Sabbath. If you don't do this with the Sabbath and this with the Sabbath and this with the Sabbath and so on and so forth. Christ is saying this was created for man. To rest. To rest with God in the finished work of God. How much more do you, does this mean to us that now have the finished work of Christ to rest in that? Hebrews 4 says he provided another rest. Sabbath was made for a man to rest therein. 
He, as Lord, knows why the Sabbath exists. The fe- and go- drawing this back to the point that is being made, the bread serves, the, the, what, 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 is, what does the field serve? Ecclesiastes 5.9, even the kings are served by the field. The bread in the tabernacle served men, priests specifically, but in that example, David and his followers. The temple itself was for the people and not the other way around. And Christ was for his disciples. His people. You know, in the same context, Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, he says, But I say unto you, a greater than the temple is here. Which is leading up to this grand crescendo of verse 28 that was also quoted uh, quoted there by uh, Matthew as well. A greater than the temple is here. The temple was there to serve David and meet David's needs. And a greater than the temple is here. That is why the priests on the Sabbath day rested not. Why? Because a greater than the temple, or, or the temple was needed. Sinners needed sacrifice, and a greater than the temple was there. Christ is greater. His will is to have mercy. Also in context, again, Matthew 12, 7, he says, But if you had known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Connecting this again doctrinally. Matthew connected these two story, this story and the last story doctrinally by the quoting of Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, while Luke just connected it chronologically. What is the point? I'm chasing rabbits, I'm sorry. <laughs> and the clock's ticking. We remember another controversy in, in John chapter 5, also about the Sabbath. You know what Christ said there? The Father works up to this point, and I work. And what was he doing there? He was healing on the Sabbath. Christ as Lord was working on the Sabbath. You know, everything is ours in Christ. I hope you all know that. God ceased his work of creation there in Genesis chapter 2. And you know he's been relentlessly working ever since. Redemptive history is all the unfolding of Christ working. Salvation here on the earth. The point, until, you realize, until we realize, until the Pharisees realize who Christ was, this will always be a controversy. It was his bread to give. Amen? It was his rest to give. It was his mercy to give. He was acting in accordance with his will when he says, I will have mercy. When he led his sheep through the cornfields where they could eat, he was exercising his prerogative as Lord. And he was using the field for what it was for, the Sabbath for what it was for, because he's Lord. He's the one that gave rest, also in context. What did he say right before this event in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will 
give you rest. Pulpit commentary had this point. The temple is greater than the Sabbath. I am greater than the temple. These my disciples are therefore guiltless, for to put it briefly, I whom they are following am greater than the Sabbath and rule over it. There have been and still are those that make man serve the Sabbath or a hundred other things, and they miss the grace and mercy of God as being brought forth. You know, a point of interest, by the way, he didn't say man specifically, Israelite, the Israelites or anything. He just said man generally. Without discrimination can enter into his rest. The Sabbath was made for man. So let's conclude. I don't know if I'm making any sense or not. It made sense when I studied it. Verse 28. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord, even or also of the Sabbath. Based on everything that has been said, this is the point you need to draw away. Therefore, so we're concluding an argument here. What's, our, what, what's Christ arguing? I'm Lord here. The Son of Man, you know that same one a few weeks ago where he says, I have power, I have authority to forgive sins. That same Son of Man, we're not going to get in again who the Son of Man is, Daniel chapter 7, the exalted Lord. He's Lord. A great predicate here, a predicate nominative. As he, uh, uh, God is love, you know, those are, those are predicates, uh, predicating some truth about it. I love the fact that we keep running into in our studies uh, these beliefs about Christ given to us by Christ himself. Believe you not that I am in the Father and the Father in me and, you know, all, all these things that Christ gave us to believe about himself. Here is something Christ gave you to believe about him. And by the way, people say, well, the Son of Man, he, he, was, he always used it third person. He's not referring to himself. He is referring to himself. Who do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He referred to himself as the Son of Man. And what is he saying about himself? The very thing that a lot of people are denying. Christ is Lord. He is Kyrios. That's, that's, that, by the way, is the confession of Christianity. It always has been. It didn't become the confession of Christianity in the second century or the third century or some other time by the process of myth-making or anything else like What is the confession of Christianity? It's here. The Son of Man is Lord. It's in the Carmen Christi, the early hymn. That, you may, that every tongue may confess what? Kurios Jesus Christos. Christ Jesus is Lord. That's the early hymn of the Christians. It's, it's over and over again. Jesus or uh, Paul there uh, was talking about salvation. If you confess with your mouth, what's the next words? A double accusative acting as a predicate nominative. Jesus is Lord. This is the confession of Christianity. It always has been. Why? Because it's what Christ taught about himself. 
Show me one place where he says he's Lord, where he's God. It's here. Amen? That's why Peter says we haven't followed cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of the Lord, that which our hands have handled of the, uh, uh, of, of the word of life. This is the truth of Christianity. That's why James, probably the, I believe the second earliest writing, says what about Jesus? James chapter 2 verse 1, Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, kurios. That's what James believed about him. That's what Peter believed about him on the day of Pentecost. God had made this same Jesus Lord Curios. And as Lord, His Lordship doesn't come to the Sabbath and then stop. He's Lord, the Son of Man is Lord, Kai, also or even, even here. See, this is what the point of the, the Christ is making here in this controversy. You have nothing you can say about me. You can't judge me. All judgment is given to the Son. We just sung Psalm 2, right? Uh, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with thee, and ye perish in the way. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him, the Son. They can't condemn. They had nothing to say. Oh, you didn't keep the. You're letting your decide. No, you don't realize who he is. And the biggest problem with our culture right now is they still don't realize who he is. I pray all the time, Lord, make yourself known. I love every time we read in the prophets, Ezekiel or something like that, that they may know that I am Lord. That's the message. It hasn't changed. It's still the same. I'm one minute over. Let's stand. Thank you all for, for being here, being attentive. And I hope it was a blessing to you. Uh, since... Uh, Brother Steve says you all sing the doxology every week. So but we were actually even talking about the doxology in the first hour, what it means uh, to give glory to God. So let's sing the doxology and be dismissed. However, we're not given an altar call, but there is an invitation. If someone here has not yet confessed Christ as their Lord and believed, in, uh, believed upon Him, we would love to take you aside. I know Brother Steve would love to take you aside and tell you, open up this book right here and tell you how you can confess him openly as your Lord, as your Savior. And we would invite you to do so. Just drag me aside, drag one of these men aside, Brother Steve or anyone else. The ladies, uh, there's plenty of ladies here that would be willing to open up the Bible and show you Christ. That's the invitation, and it's open. Let's sing.